0: This is Performance Time, the show about human beings and performance engineering. I'm Stephen Townsend. Okay, today on the show I'm excited to speak to Nicole van der Hoeven, who is a performance engineer based out of the Netherlands. And from my opinion, she's one of the best spoken and articulate performance engineers in the industry, and she does a really good job of making really complex ideas uh, understandable to all of us. So uh, welcome, Nicole, and it's fantastic to talk to you.
1: Wow, what an introduction. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the compliment, I guess. I try to be understandable. (laughs) I guess that's my thing.
0: So I guess the first thing everyone would like to know is how did you get into this performance engineering world?
1: I got into performance a little bit out of it was just an accident really um and luck I'm I was very lucky that uh I found there was a job ad for something called performance testing. I knew that I wanted to get into testing at that point, but I have an economics degree. I had never done anything, um, I guess, sort of academically or professionally with, with technology at all but I have always been interested in it. And then I found this ad that was written in a really quirky way, like the ad was saying that they were looking for people who are willing to learn rather than people who already knew a lot. And I thought, sign me up. And that turned out to be an interview with Steinschapers, who I think we, we have in common as a mentor.
0: My interviews uh, experience with Stain was also very quirky as well. <laughs>
1: did he was one of the interview questions uh do you drink beer
0: <laughs> it might have been actually yes but the the main event of the interview was that he because he'd found out I'd gone to drama school to train as an actor so my for the first part of my interview was him showing me his dvd collection of films and asking me to rate them
1: <laughs> oh wow okay <laughs> Well, for my interview, it was a very, there were lots of questions, and some of them were technical, or or like, not really technical, but things about the industry, recent trends, like, what is Android? Um, And when I got to that question, what is Android, I said something like, well, it's a mobile operating system, but... Uh, they're also cybernetic robots that may or may not dream of electric sheep, which is a reference to a sci-fi book by Philip K. Dick. And that's the one that Blade Runner was made out of, if you're familiar with the movie. And I, for some reason, Stain was looking for someone who had a little bit more of a soft skill, someone who is interesting to work with. <laughs> and I think I got the job on that line.
0: after that you must have found something about the work engaging otherwise you you wouldn't you would have changed fields right so what what do you think it is about the work which keeps you going
1: my favorite part about testing and in particular performance testing is that it's like a bridge between developers and the business or users and In a way, we're translators because those are two groups that often don't really think about each other's needs or or at least it's not their priority. And I think testers exist to bring the two worlds together. So I love that duality of being able to play in both sandboxes mm. because I'm, I'm very much drawn to people and talking to people and figuring out how something works together. But I'm also drawn to building things and the, the intellectual rigor of creating an application and having it be logically consistent for other people to use.
0: What do you think... In, in the realm specifically of performance engineering, your style is what, how do you, what is your style as a performance engineer?
1: I think my style is to educate the team to do performance without me <laughs> <laughs> that 's why I guess that 's why i 'm a developer advocate because um, i i did i I have done performance testing as a consultant before i mean most of my career has been that. And the problem with it is it can be, problem with it for me, is it can be pretty repetitive. There are a lot of, of course, you have to learn new technologies and new frameworks and there's new people. There are always new challenges, but in it, at its core, the process is the same. And I got to a certain point where I was like, you know, I could do it for you. Or how about I just sit with your team? Because there is no reason that you need to be hiring a person just to do performance testing, everybody performance should be everybody's concern. And a developer could be a performance tester, you know, an automation tester could be a performance tester, like there doesn't have to be, I think people think sometimes that you have to go to school and have very specific experience, but I want to open it up. Like there's nothing mysterious about it. So I think my style is to educate people to do it themselves, which kind of goes better with what I want anyway, because I love the challenge of something new.
0: That is quite interesting to me. I do find that I would love to enable more teams to do more for themselves as well. And and I'm continually trying to do that. There, there are limits to what you can hand over to someone who's not a specialist in performance, yeah. though. So, how, well, what do you think the the way to work around that is? Do you still have specialists, and then you hand over the more, the simpler, or um, maybe um, more repetitive work to delivery teams? What's the balance?
1: Yeah, I think that there's always going to be room for a performance specialist, but I think that. I personally like it better when my role shifts more towards a um, like a like a mentor, a mentoring capability where I'm helping people improve while still doing the work myself because I I actually like being hands on. Uh, But I think that if you're not teaching, you know, the next generation or, or even the same generation, but just people in other teams that are interested in it then I feel like you're just making things more difficult for yourself in the long run because you're going to be stuck doing that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you agree? It's okay to disagree with me.
0: <laughs> I, I find myself in a situation where I'm torn between what's best for the organization and what's best for the particular project or program of work we're on right now? Mm. I'm thinking about outcomes. So if I can enable teams to be more self-sufficient, that's the best thing for us in the long run, and it's good better for me because I can do focus on higher quality, more valuable work, more interesting work. But in the context of a program of work, we would probably get a better outcome if I just did the work myself with my team. So it's a <laughs> it's a tricky thing, uh, especially when the money might be coming from the program so how do you justify actually we need to put the organization first
1: yeah i think that was a problem for me too and as a consultant sometimes my engagements were as short as i actually had an engagement that was one day can you imagine (laughs) but they were still uh, maybe a month or so on average and when you have a short amount of time like that You can't really think of how am I going to change the organization. You have to focus on the project, which I just, it really frustrated me because I wanted to deliver value that would last, not just do the job for this time. And when you need it done again, well, call me again, which, you know, I guess I should have been happy that that was continued work for me, but I wanted to do something that would change the foundation of how they do testing. So I think that some forms of performance testing will still be carried out by performance testers just because of the specialization that's required, but there's so many other forms of performance that can be done, you know, during development. Or during deployment, what about setting up a CI/CD framework with performance in it? There are a lot of things that can be automated that don't need a specialist to run them. They can just, they can just run on their own um, automatically after code's checked in. That was the kind of thing that I wanted to set up. But the reality was that when I would be called into a project, it was just fix this thing. And then when it's done, see you later.
0: Yeah. So you want to do the strategic, but you're being pulled into the tactical firefighting.
1: Yeah. And and that's kind of why now I'm, I've moved a little bit over to developer advocacy for performance testing, because I've found a lot of success in trying to teach performance testers or would be performance testers, how to do these things, and then they can then, you know, be the performance champion for their project teams or organizations.
0: I really admire your outlook. I, I find that your perspective is very refreshing and positive. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's some, I guess it's something I kind of needed to hear right now, um, that it's it's not all impossibly difficult um, to make this stuff happen. And we just got to keep putting our best foot forward.
1: Yeah, I think, I think sometimes we need a bit of a change, whether that's a, just a new project or a new outlook or a new job.
0: So, obviously, you're really good at a lot of things um, in the, the world of performance. Um, my, my question is, everyone, you know, you're good at a lot of things, uh, clearly, but everyone's got some things which they just find really difficult or challenging or they dread doing. Uh, you know, um, for me, uh, for example, I I really struggle uh, having ad hoc conversations with people of high authority in the organization, so high executives mm-hmm. of a high level. I can prepare a talk and a presentation and it will go pretty smooth. But when the random sideswipe questions happen out of nowhere, I just i just fall apart. I melt into a puddle, right? <laughs> it's just something I need to work on, right? So how about you? What's what, What's your kryptonite? What's the stuff that you find really hard on the job?
1: I like shiny things. <laughs> that sounds funny, but... I I legitimately have a weakness for new technologies, new tools in particular. I naturally want to try everything. To the point that I really can't understand how other people can stick to using just one tool for years and years. So that sounds like a weird weakness, but I actually think that a lot of the times using new tools can be detrimental to a company, especially if they've invested significant resources into a tool or a way of working that already just works. So I I constantly have to remind myself like no they they maybe they haven't asked for a new tool they're okay with this one maybe just go with it for now. <laughs> I do have a tendency to say to go into a project and think. Let's just do. Let's just change everything. How about we use this tool now for CI/CD, and then let's put this on on Tableau for results. You know, I I just have all these ideas. And I maybe need to scale down and just get things going to start with.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess you got to find that balance of. Uh... Yeah, doing the thing which is familiar to other people in the organization and then getting that yeah. time is so important, I think, to you know whatever that time is, um, maybe a day a week, you get to do stuff which is your growth uh, and you get to enjoy all the shiny new toys, tools and toys. Do you do you have a, a war story, uh, a situation, like a really nasty performance issue that you found in the past uh, and a story you could tell us about that?
1: Sure. I I think you've already heard this one, Stephen, the abridged version of it when we did that panel at Testing Talks Online. But um, I was in a project where the purpose of it was to tune the system to get uh, the end result was to send out these letters to customers. And we Worked on it for a very long time. I kind of joined it halfway into the project, but it was still really successful. We we found a lot of performance issues and addressed them, and got it to a ridiculous amount of letters that could be generated per second. And then we we presented our findings to um to to the stakeholders, including customer support, and they said. Um, Why weren't we told about this? Because we can't handle that amount of load. These letters, or at least some of them have, have contents that might require people to that might push people to go and call us. And we just don't have the people for that. So can you can you slow that down? (laughs) And and go backwards? And we, we had to actually create a, a rate-limiting uh, system to, to slow it down. So we had spent so much of our time trying to speed it up, but then we had to rate-limit it in the end. And it sticks out in my mind because it is a failure on our part, on the testing part, because we didn't consider the human factors of performance that can often be even more important than the technical factors. In the Netherlands, we have this app for for, I guess, tracking the spread of COVID-19, as many many countries have as well. But it came under fire because there were a lot of performance issues, especially when it came to setting appointments for your COVID test. I guess they do it now for vaccinations. But anyway they fixed it to the point that it was that people were able to book these appointments. But the part in the process that wasn't taken into consideration was the traffic, the not the the technical traffic, like not HTTP traffic to a server, but the actual traffic with cars that that occurred around these testing centers, because apparently it was so awful that a lot of cars couldn't even get to the center in time for their appointment. (laughs) So I, I just thought that that was an interesting part of the entire process that a performance tester probably did not think about. And I mean, why would you? We often just try to tune the computer parts, but the human parts are just as important, sometimes even more so.
0: I think that takes the concept of an end-to-end performance test to the next level. (laughs) So you go all the way from the software to the point the car gets to the station.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, because when you think about it, what's the point in being able to handle all these appointments if people can't make it to those appointments anyway? And Mm. you're just wasting your time.
0: All right. So one of the things that you have been talking about recently uh, and it sounds like it's an interest of yours, is the concept of chaos engineering and how that affects performance testing. Can you give us a little bit of a idea of how the chaos engineering impacts us as performance engineers?
1: Sure, yes, I've been getting into chaos engineering just because I think that it is intrinsically linked to performance testing because at its heart, they want to do the same thing. They want to improve software reliability and performance. And the biggest challenge in it is that they have a little bit of a different approach. In testing, we have an idea of what an application should be able to do, and then we check whether it actually does it. But chaos engineering just kind of takes for granted that at some point the application is not going to behave the way we expect. There are going to be failures. So what happens when it does? So I am so interested in it because it's a completely different way of thinking. It's an acceptance of the fact that no matter how much we plan and test, there are things that will happen in real life that we never expected. So we might as well try to make our applications robust enough to handle the unexpected as well. And I've also been experimenting with incorporating chaos experiments into my load tests. So imagine a script where in addition to the typical load test that you would have with a certain scenario, let's say it runs for an hour, in addition to that, you have a single user, a chaos user, that then says, okay, well, how about after I've gotten that as a baseline and I know how my server typically behaves, how about 30 minutes into the test, I just kill a Kubernetes pod or I kill one of the instances that that's involved in, in this system. How does the application respond? Does the response time increase? Are there just errors that can never be recovered? Is there a data loss? There's just so many factors that that can expose just from a single user that runs along with a test. And if it's a tool that lets you script it in, then you can make it smarter. You're not just running it simultaneously throughout the entire test. You can maybe run it at a spike or there's so many things you can do with it. And it's just really exciting to think of where this could go in a few years.
0: Do you design these chaos tests yourself or do, do other people work with you to come up with ideas for things to try?
1: I definitely ask other people for for advice because I I'm a tester I'm not I'm not into DevOps I've never worked in as a site reliability engineer so there are definitely things that I would not have considered but I I do script it myself um, and I mean I don't want to plug here but I I did use K6 because of this. So K6 is a load testing tool where you script in JavaScript, and so the chaos experiments are also just scripted in JavaScript. So it's really no different. It's a matter of importing a a package, and I just scripted the way that I would any other user.
0: Something a little bit different that you mentioned when when we were bouncing emails back and forth is... The importance of note taking for anyone, any software engineer now this this sounds really interesting to me, and i think I think I'm also really into this, but I just want to hear your take or uh, what you mean by that
1: so I think that a lot of people just think note taking is a thing that you do in in college or in school, but I think it has applications for outside academia, and I really don't understand how people survive without it because I think it's very logical to me that there's a finite amount of information that we can store in our brains. That's just a fact. We can take that as a given. And yet, if we're working in technology, whether you're a tester or a developer or or an SRE, you have to be able to understand new concepts all the time, frameworks and, and languages and just different ways to work there is no possible way that we're going to remember all of that so we need to come up with some sort of system that we can offload things into otherwise you're learning things and i am 100 percent sure that in 10 years you'll not even remember that that you were doing this unless you're doing exactly the same thing which is unlikely in tech right and so I think that note taking and having building a sort of personal knowledge management system as a second brain to offload this information and in becomes so much more important at its core I think testing is a knowledge work it's we're not being paid for you know physical prowess we're being paid for what we know and how well we do testing and those are things that we can take notes on and learn from and improve as, as time goes by.
0: I actually have a grad that I'm mentoring right now, and she carries a paper, a notepad wherever she goes and takes notes on everything, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, she likes the you know physical paper. Uh, I, I use Confluence, and I have my own knowledge bases that I build up over many, many years because, like like you, I forget, I, I forget things all the time, and I want to refer back to what I learned what technologies or tools have you found useful
1: so i i do I do love writing on paper, but I mainly reserve that for like brainstorming sort of sessions i've found I go entirely digital for my notes just because a, a few things one you can version control it, and so you can also see how your thinking evolves over time, which I've found really useful, especially if I'm trying to make a content piece on something. From the point of view of a beginner then i can see like what were the questions that i had when i was learning this at the beginning so the second thing is that you can back it up so you never have to lug around physical notebooks and if you take notes the way that i do i would be lugging around several notebooks and it then it would then be hard to find so that's a third thing that you can search it easily and You can search it from any device. So what I personally do, and I don't think there's a best tool for the job, um, but I use something called Obsidian. Have you heard of it?
0: No, I've never heard of it before. What what is Obsidian?
1: Yeah, so it's um, obsidian.md. I don't work for them, don't get anything from them, and it's entirely free. They do have a paid version if you want them to store your data in that, but it stores your, your notes as markdown files locally. So it's just plain text files and I like that because I've used other note-taking systems in the past like Notion or Roam Research where they keep your files and it's not in, I think Notion uses a proprietary markdown format, but it's not saved locally. So you don't really have that access to it at all times, so you can't switch to another another provider or another tool whenever you want. Um, but Obsidian is really awesome because it, it gives you your files and it also has this thing called backlinks where you just create a link from one note to another but then if you go to that second note you'll also see the first note as a reference to it and that's whether you create a, a link specifically or whether you just type that word. So sometimes I'll open up a page that i've never created and i'll already see a lot of instances in other notes where i've cited it and that's a cue for me to think oh what is this topic that i've written about but i haven't formally defined it in my system like it's just it's just a really great tool for discoverability and creating a knowledge management system that isn't linear you can organize in folders but really, you can just tag things and and have links. So it's more like a neural network than anything I've tried before.
0: That sounds awesome. I have to check that out.
1: Yeah, and I think that especially when you're a, a contractor and you're required to pick up new tools all the time, I don't know if you're like me, but you know, if I haven't used a tool in a while, I've forgotten it, even if it was one that I used daily for years. If if I haven't used it in a while, I kind of, there's a period where I'm like, how do I do this thing again? I know it can be done. I just can't quite remember how to do it. Well, I just have cheat sheets for tools. Like, this is how to do it in JMeter. This is how you, to do that in, in Gatling, you know? and And it just makes it so much easier. I don't have to Google it. It's like Googling my brain before I actually use Google. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... One of the things that you mentioned that you're interested in is diversity in technology. And I am absolutely aware that I am a white male and I have interviewed three other white males so far on this podcast. And when I look at conferences and events, I see predominantly white males speaking as well, which is massively disproportionate to the diversity of people actually working as performance engineers from my own experience. So what are your views on diversity in technology?
1: This is one of the reasons that I wanted to take more of a public-facing role because I would look at the same things that you did and I wouldn't see anyone like me. And I don't necessarily think that I have to see someone like me in every job, in every performance. But when you see nobody, and I, I, it sounds like you've experienced, you've had other women that you've worked with as as performance engineers, but I, I can name maybe two women that I've worked with in performance, and both one is Asian, one is white. And I I think that's a problem. So I think that if you can't see someone who resembles you in a job or a position that you want to have, whether that's physically, culturally, or experientially, I think you just have to step up and be that person even if you don't necessarily think you are the best person to do it. And I very much feel that way because I'm very conscious of the fact that I, I there there's a certain expectation of expertise that comes when you're watching somebody present and I don't think of myself as an expert. I think there are other people that are way way better equipped to give these presentations, but they're not me and they don't look like I do and they don't have the experiences that I do. So there is an element of me just pushing myself out there because I'm hoping that if I do, other people like me will will think, oh, maybe it's a normal thing to to have an Asian woman out there.
0: It's difficult for anyone, I think, to get up and put put yourself out there, especially in a professional context where, I think the stakes are higher to get up and stand up and say, hey, this is me, and, and I'm talking about the work that I do. But I would love to see, I, I would love to hear from a grad or someone who's just starting their career and to hear about their experience on their first day out on the job, for example. that That's really interesting to me. I guess that's really what this podcast is all about. It's that humanic, the human side of performance engineering. And I think that might inspire more yeah. people to get involved.
1: I think that... There's something about performance testing because there are a lot of weirdos, and I mean that in in the best way possible in performance don't you think there are people from different backgrounds very comparatively few fewer than one might think have come from a real computing background, which is great because we're bringing all of these interesting and diverse backgrounds to to the same thing, and we attack a problem in different ways one one thing that i've been called out on myself like from other colleagues is uh sometimes i i say things like oh i'm not i'm not that technical or variations on that theme that are just different ways to sell myself short mm. and i think uh that's something that not just you know people of color do and everybody has a tendency to sell themselves short and when you say things like i'm not technical i think it also sends the wrong signal to others that you do have to be technical whatever that means to do the job when that's not necessarily true so i think that does impact diversity in a negative way
0: yeah i want to do a talk uh, another episode coming up on imposter syndrome that's what you were just saying now sounds so like a little bit like that potentially where yeah, for whatever reason, a lot of people in the as performance engineers from any background, uh, maybe the more they know, the more they they can see the complexity of things and they start to question themselves well maybe I don't actually know what I'm talking about.
1: I absolutely agree. I get that all the time and the best way that I've found to deal with imposter syndrome is that every time I start to think, you know why would anyone listen to me or when what if they find out? that I don't actually know what I'm talking about. I just go with it and embrace the noobiness of it. And I call myself a noob and I I try new things all the time. Like in, uh, I think it's going to be later this month, I'm going to be talking at a conference about chaos engineering. Hmm. About two months ago, I knew nothing. That was when I accepted the, the request or the offer to speak at a conference about chaos engineering wow. <laughs> so when I say I put myself out there I put myself out there and if you look back at the content I've created in the last few weeks you'll notice that I've been having people on to talk about chaos engineering and I'm very open about the fact that I'm totally new I don't know what all of this stuff is and I'm starting from scratch and I find that when you're honest about something like you're not going I'm not going to be presenting and saying I am an expert mm-hmm. in Chaos engineering. No, I'm saying uh, I'm a noob. This is how I managed to get past that beginner phase and do something productive anyway. And I'm not saying that everybody in the world should do it the way that I did, but if you're a beginner like me, hey, maybe this is a good way for you to start too. And I think that just, that just defeats that little voice in your head that says you're not good enough if you just acknowledge that hey maybe I'm not but you know what that's okay.
0: I think some people are afraid that if they are honest about how much they do or don't know that's going to make them look like they don't know what they're doing or maybe they ask too many questions or they don't know what they're doing. My experience is quite the opposite. The people who stay quiet and don't say anything generally get lost later on but it's it's the one who stands up and says well this doesn't make any sense to me and everyone goes thank goodness that person asked that question or (laughs) you know it it kind of gives people other people permission to uh, be honest about where they're at and everyone learns more because of it
1: that's also I think you can tie that back to diversity too I think one way of encouraging people from different backgrounds to join to be in tech is that when the few people that are in tech are are on your team and you notice that they're being quiet, instead of prodding them to to say something and to in their minds expose their, their ignorance, why don't you expose your ignorance, mm. show a little bit of vulnerability and ask the questions that they might be thinking?
0: Anything else you wanted to talk about um, that I haven't covered about diversity?
1: I think that you can look at diversity in different ways. It's not just gender diversity or or sexual orientation or anything physical. It's also things like maybe I'm from a culture where it's not okay to just directly address a superior um, the way that it is okay in Western cultures. You know, maybe there are some cultural things like that that people don't take into consideration, that it's, it's not okay, like, for a Filipino. So I am Filipino. I'm from the Philippines. But I've lived most of my life away from it, so it's kind of a mix of experiences there. But in Philippine culture, we never address... managers by the first name so already from that there's a distance and so you have to know that when you're dealing with a Filipino that that is their natural inclination they're not being unfriendly or or whatever they're showing you respect Hmm. so I think there's diversity is such a broad topic uh, but it just boils down to coming from a good place it's not about blaming people the second they say the wrong pronoun or or whatever. It is about coming from a place of really wanting to meet people where they are. And if you mess up, you apologize and everyone should move on if mm. it's heartfelt.
0: Okay, I, I only have two more questions. The first one is, and I've already seen these before, what do you think we need to do more of as performance engineers?
1: I think, one, take notes, which we've talked about, but two, think about how we're communicating things because it's not actually the technical parts of performance that's hard. It's it's championing performance and, and trying to express to management why performance should be done or trying to communicate test results to developers or other stakeholders and, and being able to pinpoint exactly where they need to look. I think so much of our job is about how clearly and concisely we get a point across and we need to spend more effort into improving those skills.
0: Have you got any specific tips or things that people can do to improve their communication, whether it be written or verbal or any other kind?
1: Yeah, so um, two books. One is Modern Technical Writing. I just looked it up. It's by Andrew Etter. It's a short book. It's, it's very practical and talks about uh, even things like markdown. You know, and so not just, um, it's not just about the soft skills, but it's also concrete tools that you can use to publish a blog post or express something. Uh, so that's really good. Uh, another book is The Art of Statistics, because I think that a lot of performance testers still don't understand statistical concepts that they really should be able to express to other people and the art of statistics is a really great non highfaluting book uh, that just teaches you everything you need to know and know more but it talks about things like how do you know when you when your sample size is big enough so a performance test that's two minutes is really not a load test it's it's like a shakeout you know, so how do you tell when you have the right sample size, the right duration for your test? So, those kinds of concepts, I, I, I really like those. And they also, in, in The Art of Statistics, they also talk about um, how to communicate results, which graphs are the best for which situations, which I thought was really useful.
0: That does sound incredibly useful. Uh, I haven't read either of those books. I have to check them out. Okay, last question. What do you think? The biggest challenge facing performance engineering is right now?
1: I think our role is changing. I think there is a push for test ops. So there was already DevOps, which is the intersection of development and kind of an SRE role. And now there's a thing called test ops where we're now expected not just to do the testing part of it, but we might also want to be able to set up a CICD pipeline and know a little bit about the deployment. And I think that comes with a lot of the need for us to learn new concepts and skills This containerization movement is taking off so that now what started off as, you know, virtual machines or virtual servers uh, has morphed into things like Kubernetes and the blockchain and serverless computing. Those are all different, different implementations of distributed computing. So I think that we're looking... To some degree, it's all, they're already here. Those technologies are already here, but they're still evolving. And the question remains: How are we going to performance test uh, things, uh, applications that are on a level of distributedness, if that's a word, that we've never seen before? I think that's both um, frightening, a little frightening, because we have to learn so much, and a lot is unknown. But also incredibly exciting because it's a whole new world
0: as you were speaking i could feel my buttocks clench with <laughs> anxiety <laughs> about oh this is getting so complicated how do we deal with all this stuff that's going on yeah um, yeah test ops i've never heard of before can you i mean can you give me that um explain like i'm five of to, to me of what that is about
1: sure it's um it it's just a like a conglomeration of or a blurring of the lines between the role of a tester and an operations engineer or maybe a DevOps person Uh, and it just means that I think that the rise of startups and smaller companies has been changed has been messing with the roles the traditional roles that we have in a software development life cycle and I think that I feel the tide moving in the direction of testers also being able to maybe deploy their own environments. And that sounds super scary, but as someone who has just gotten up to speed with Kubernetes and who started her own cluster for the very first time like a month ago, it's actually not that bad. And the thought of being able to do this on my own without having to schedule something with other people or, or whatever, just being able to take this definition of an environment, environment as code, and running that and having my personal testing environment, that's empowering. So yeah, it's frightening, but there's so much more that we're going to be able to do.
0: So is it, is it about applying operations engineering to test the world of testing or is it also about applying testing methodologies or approaches to production systems and, and as well
1: I think it goes both ways and chaos engineering might be a, a good place to link the two so that now you can have tests that are built into your your code for deployment. Because everything is going into code, both uh, like, the, well, development is already in code, and, code, and then the operations side, there's, there's a movement called infrastructure as code. If your tests are also in code, then that just broadens our reach because now we can test all of those with the same tests, with the same tool, and we can also be checking in code and deploying code ourselves, if it's all in the same unified tool. I think we're still heading towards that future. Um, I, I don't think it's that easy right now, but I think it's definitely a movement to keep an eye on.
0: Thank you so much, Nicole, for your time. It's been really great to chat to you. I can't believe we even talked more often. We should do this more often.
1: Yeah, we definitely should. Thank you for having me.
0: If the people out there in the world want to uh, follow you or find out more about you and what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Sure. Uh, probably Twitter is the best. I am at N underscore Sorry, that's my last name. Uh, or you can email me at Nicole at K6.io.
0: Thanks again, Nicole, for sharing your stories with us. And thank you to all of you for tuning in once again. And as always, this is performance time.